Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you guys this week, and welcome to Grace. Let's go ahead and talk about my face <laughs> and what's happening with it. So I, I, uh, I fe- you guys are funny because some of you have been like, what happened to your face? And others are like, I will not make eye contact. There's nothing wrong with him. I fell on, uh, on Friday. I was uh, running down the, my driveway. I had work boots on. You know how boots at the top thing, they have like that little hook that you're supposed to use for your shoelaces? Well, my shoelaces on my right foot caught the hook on my left foot and tripped me. And I, I kind of dove and I put my knee down and I put my hand down and I was like, what's left to stop my fall? Oh, I'll go ahead and use my face. So I just kind of wiped out and uh, it looks worse than it is. My shoulder's bad though, if there's doctors, if you, I don't want to have a copay. So if you want to diagnose me in the lobby, that'd be nice. But, <clears throat> um, but I'm fine. I just look bad. So if you guys this weekend, if you ignore this side of my face, I'll ignore all of your face, and uh, <clears throat> and we'll uh, we'll get through things. So, but thanks for thanks for being here. Uh, we're in a series right now that we're calling uh, "Made for This," and in the series, um, we're talking about uh, what happens to us spiritually, right? So, when I accept Christ. These very, very dynamic things happen to me spiritually, and they're, they're way, way more than like self-improvement or balance or health or turning over a new leaf. Like that, that would not be like nearly deep enough to think about what's going on with us spiritually. In fact, the Bible uses things like this. These are kind of pictures that it draws. Jesus says, uh, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Right, so very deep, completely life-altering, total transformation. Uh, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So it's this reset, this, this whole brand new thing that's going on. Ephesians says, uh, you, were, you were in darkness and then you've been brought to the light. You were once darkness, but now you are light. So these two, like darkness and light, have nothing in common. This is total transformation. Paul also says, he says, you were spiritually dead, but you've been made alive in Christ. So when I accept Christ, I'm spiritually resurrected, right? So these really deep things that happen to us and alter us completely. When we ask for the forgiveness of our sins and when we place our life under the authority and the the definition of the direction of, of Christ... I am this new thing, right? I'm this new thing. So what Paul says is he says this new thing, this new thing is something that you kind of aspire to or work yourself into, but you're born into it. You're reborn, as Jesus said, right? So as I think about that, I'm getting my head around what's it mean to be reborn and for the old to be gone and the new to be here. So in this conversation that we've been having, it, it kind of lands in a couple of chairs, right? So if you're in the chair of saying, like, I'm kind of checking things out, I'm thinking about my, my, my spiritual life, so I, I'm, I'm just kind of there, but I'm not yet a follower of Jesus. Like, Jeff, when you say, place your life under the authority and direction of Christ, I'm not there, then the way that you want to hear this conversation is you want to hear it as an invitation, 
If this is something that God wants for you, he's inviting you to be a part of. It's a life change he wants to give you that he, he knows that you need, but you would think of it that way, right? Um, and so it's, it's an opportunity that when you choose to ask for the forgiveness of your sin and place your life under Jesus' direction, then, then that opportunity is there for you. For others of us, kind of the other chair is those of us who would think of ourselves as followers of Christ already. And so the way that you would receive this conversation is you would receive it as something that's happening within you. So when you're, I'm reborn and now this new life in Christ is kind of in growing in me and, and I'm embracing this life. So Paul uses language like this. He says, um, Ephesians, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart are enlightened. So like you wake up and you see what God is already doing in you. Uh, another place in the, in, in the, there in the New Testament, he would say, Christ created for himself a new humanity. Like you're not like everybody else now because you've been spiritually resurrected. So you're this new humanity. You're this new thing that Christ created for himself. And then the, he says things like, we've been adopted into the family of God. We're the household of God. I'm a son or a daughter of God now, right? And so for you guys who are Christ followers, you're looking and saying, this is what's happening to me. <clears throat> I'm being enlightened to it, getting my head around it. And for those who are not yet followers of Christ, this is an invitation. This is what God wants to do in me, okay? So, so as you listen to this, think of it that way. I encourage you, if you've missed stuff or want to catch up, the podcast, the app, the website, it's all out there. It's all free. This is a conversation you probably want to soak in. Like, it's, it's impossible for us to, to put a bow on it and say, now, just, you know, believe that. It, it's something you get your head around over time. And so it may be worth a listen or a re-listen if, if it intrigues you and you want to kind of head down that path, okay? So this weekend, what I want to do is I want to, we want to move to the next section of Ephesians, because this is all out of the book of Ephesians. And so Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Ephesus. And in that church, there's people who are brand new to following Jesus. Some of them had like a, a background in the Old Testament, and then some of them had no religious background at all, but they've all discovered Christ and now they're trying to figure out what has happened in me spiritually and how do I embrace it and how do I walk with it, okay? So we're going to hang out in Ephesians chapter 5 this weekend. If you got your Bibles, open them there. It's page 949 in those Bibles in the chairs. And then this is on the app or if you want to use, use your phone. We're just going to hang out in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is what Paul's doing. I'm going to kind of use my own language to describe this. Paul's looking at these folks who are new in their relationship with Christ. And he's basically saying, as you get a hold of what God is doing in you, you're going to head down this path. And this path, if you embrace this path God born you onto, you were reborn onto this path, if you embrace it, You'll, you'll, the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. You'll understand more and more what it looks like to live your life for God. And you kind of embrace it, my words, not Paul's, kind of like in levels. 
and you understand it kind of at a deeper and deeper level. I wanted to get get a kind of a an, an illustration we get our head around for this. So what Paul's doing, it's kind of like teaching somebody to drive is the best I could come up with, right? So um, Heidi and I are, you know, we're teaching our kids to drive as they get their license. One of our sons just got his temps. So we're starting this process over again, teaching him to drive. And what's hard, if you've ever taught somebody to drive, what's hard is to communicate what you know by instinct, right? So I've been, I've been driving for 33 years. I don't think about driving anymore. I just drive, and I, 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 you just kind of do it by instinct. So now I'm sitting down with a, with a person who's never driven a car before, and you're trying to say out loud what you just kind of do, right? So you have to figure out how to start at the very beginning. Because if you just gave them a list of all your instincts, it'd be incomprehensible. So you kind of start at the beginning. So when I get into the car, Heidi does a little bit different. She's better about it than I am. But when I get into the car, I'm like, here's the rule. Rule number one, you do exactly what I say the instant I say to do it. Are you clear? If I say hit the brake, you hit the brake. If I say turn, you turn. Whatever I say to do, you do it the instant that I say to do it. Don't ask me why. Don't say, Dad. Don't do any of it, right? You just do exactly what I say because you don't know what you're doing. I drove the lawnmower once. You do not know what you're doing. This is a death machine right here, right? And so you kind of start there. Just obey me until you get your head around it. Because when a kid gets in the car for the first time, you're like, give it gas. They just push the gas all the way down, you know, or hit, hit the brake and they just slam on the brakes. They don't have a feel or an instinct. That's why they drive. They see a car coming at them. They get way over here. You're like, mailboxes, right? So we always teach kids to drive and hide his car because I don't want mine torn. So, so, like, so <laughs> this is the way it starts. What you want then as you're teaching them to drive, I, you want them to get a, the hang of it themselves, so as they get better at it and experienced at it, I'm going to start telling them what to do, and I'm going to start asking them to analyze for themselves what they're doing. So instead of saying, go 35 miles an hour, I'm going to say, hey, what's your speedometer say? You know, how fast do you think you're going? Should we speed up? Should we slow down? I want them to think that themselves. Because ultimately, I, I don't want them to pick up a list. I want them to have my instincts, right? Because we're going to turn them loose. I want them to have that eyes in the back of their head thing that you get when you drive a long time. When, when you glance at something and you're like, they're not going to stop. I better. That kind of stuff. But it's impossible to like list it and remember it. You have to get an instinct for it because you've changed from a non-driver to a driver, right? So I want you to kind of like imagine a little bit that's what Paul's kind of doing here. You, you were this, but now you're that, and this is how to do that. The Bible says that we, we have an instinct. So we have a human instinct, but it's not a healthy one. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. 
So we have instincts, right? We have a human instinct, a human instinct to self-protect, a human instinct to look out for our self-interest, a human instinct to like believe our own truth. All those kind of things are like, that's just the way that we're wired. Nobody ever taught us to lie, to be selfish, to do any of that stuff. We just kind of do that on our own. And Paul says, right, it seems right to you, but it's going to take you away from God. It's going to lead to death. I would add that on top of that human instinct, we kind of have like a cultural instinct. So we're raised in families and we're raised in cultural systems that have norms and and mores and stuff like that. And we would look and say, well, it seems right because everybody says that it's right, right? It just seems the way that you do it. In the ancient world, the Romans, when they had a baby, especially a girl, because nobody wanted girls, they, they would take a thing and they would practice exposure. They would set the baby outside for five days on its own. If it lived, they kept it. If it died, they didn't. And it was normal. Everybody did it. it, it it's a cultural instinct, right? And, and Jesus would be like, or the, the scriptures would be like, it seemed right, but it like leads to spiritual death. Here in North America, um, for us, it'd be things like materialism. Materialism seems right. It seems like that's why you have a job. That's why you work hard. That's what you do to get ahead. That's what you strive for, to have nicer versions. We're just raised in it. It doesn't seem wrong. It seems right. And Jesus would be like, yeah, you know, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. And there's a way that seems right. But at the end, you know, it doesn't matter how much stuff you die with. If you don't have your soul wrapped up and secure in me, then it leads to death, right? So Paul would say, like, there's that way before you were born again, before you were spiritually resurrected. That's the old, but the new has come. So there's that way, but you've been reborn to something else, and that something else is what he calls the way of love. The way of love. I've been born. I don't find the way of love. I don't achieve the way of love. I don't aspire to the way of love. I'm born onto the way of love. I'm reborn and it's who I am now. And it's what defines and directs me. And as I go down the way of love, I embrace this new identity more and more and more. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 talks about this. Paul Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk the way, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. So I'm following God's example because I'm a dearly loved child. I am adopted. I am someone new, right? So what defines me and what directs me is God's example, and I want to walk the way of love. What's the way of love? Jesus clarifies for us when, when he talks about what we call the, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is like that's what you've been born into now. As opposed to the way of self. I look out, there's a way it seems right to me. I look out for myself, I do what I want to do, it's my life, right, kind of thing. Now I'm born in the way of love, 
I'm following God's example just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us. Christ gave his life for us and, and did that as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You could say, so to say, that Jesus loved his neighbor and loved his father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus lays his life down and then he gives himself up as a fragrant offering sacrifice. That's an Old Testament illusion where the priests would go in and they would offer what was called the atoning sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that allowed your sins to be forgiven. They would offer that sacrifice on an altar and you would smell it. You would smell the incense and also the sacrifice. And then as the smell arose to the skies, so to say, the people would know that their sins had been cared for. Well, Jesus gives his life as a fragrant sacrifice to God and to us. So Paul says, that's the example. Christ did it for us. Now we who are redeemed by Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us, we walk that way of love. I'm, I'm always asking the question that I've been born again, my mind has been renewed, what does it mean to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? And that's what I'm wrestling with as opposed to the way of self, right? It, it, there's a delineation now that has happened in my life, and I'm defined by the way of love. Now, what Paul does is he gives us examples or he clarifies for us and he describes how, how the way of love is different than the way of self, right? So if you look at Ephesians chapter five, he, he talks about the way of love in verses one and two. And then he says, if you said, well, how does that work? What's it look like? Paul would be like, well, let me give you some examples. And this is not a comprehensive list of things you do or don't do on the way of love. This is a illustrative list that delineates between the way of self and the way of love. So for instance, verse three, on the way of love, but among you, there among you, who's the you? The dearly loved children, the people on the way of love. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. There would not be a hint of sexual immorality, a hint of impurity, a hint of greed, because those things would not belong in the way of love. They're improper for the people. They're not reminiscent of the people on the way of love. Now, remember, this letter is being written to people who just discovered Jesus was their Savior and believed in his resurrection. And they come from these backgrounds and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. So sexual immorality does not belong in the way of love? Right. Well, some of them were disciples of Diana and they were taught that you go to the temple, you hire a temple prostitute, you have sex with them as an act of worship to God. And so here they're like, wait a minute, that was normal. That's the way I was, you don't, that's not loving? No, that's not loving. Well, how come? Well, actually, in a few verses later, in Ephesians chapter five, Paul actually goes on, talks about it. He says, he would say, because sex, sex is, it's not about, it's not an action, it's an illustration. What? Yeah, 
When, when two people become one flesh, and they do that within the secure, permanent, loving bonds of a New Testament marriage between a man and a woman, they illustrate how God loves the church and how the church responds to God. So people on the way of love don't think of sex as an act. They think of it as an illustration. And they think of sex as something that is sacred. It's symbolic of God. It's something that means something to God beyond a sexual act. Well, on the way of self, nobody ever said that. On the way of self, you use each other's bodies. You hook up. And you use each other's bodies, you use each other's bodies for selfish interest. I never thought of sex as selfless. And I might use your body, I might use your body on a screen or use your body on my phone. I don't care about you, I don't care about your soul. I'm not looking at you as a neighbor or a human being that somebody would love and that God would give a son for. You're just a thing to me, you're an, an object that I self-gratify through, whether I use your body physically or use your body through a screen. And Paul says, yeah, I get it. I get you've been raised that way. I get that that's a call. Nobody looks at you like you're a pervert when you think that way. It's a cultural norm, but it's not the way of love. See, the way of love would be very, very differently because I, I, I'm, I'm loving God, my heart, soul, mind, strength. And I'm loving my neighbor and my spouse is my first neighbor. And the act is illustrative and loving. And when it's performed and there's security and there's permanence, it's enriching. You're not using them. You're loving them, right? And he goes on. He says, greed is that way. Greed is that way. There shouldn't be any hint of greed. That's improper for God's holy people. Well, what do you mean? Well, I was taught that you, you get what you want. Everything you have belongs to you. You earned it. Actually, you know, everything you have belongs to God. You were given it. What? I never knew that. Yeah. See, the way of self says that you're a self-made person. The way of love says everything you have belongs to God, and he entrusts you to use it to love other people with. I didn't know that. Yeah. See, so it would be greed is inconsistent with love. So he's illustrating with it. And he just goes on and he lists more of those. Verse four, there should not be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place for who? For God's holy people, but rather thanksgiving. Well, what, what's the deal with that? Well, it's, it's very hard to be loving when, when my mouth is full of obscenity. You, 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 you would never, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, when I am full of obscenity, I, I am not in any way representing what God has done in my heart. See? Foolish talk. It, when all of my conversations are shallow, and I never tell you the reason for the hope that's within me, I mean, being reborn, made new, resurrected is a pretty big deal. It's a lot different than like the Indians, Right? And so foolish talk, things that are shallow, coarse joking, if I'm telling sex jokes all the time, how am I loving the person that I'm joking about? See? And, and, and if there's a sex joke about her body or the sex joke about 
being gay or this sexual. Where, where's the loving part? What part of that conversation reflects this dynamic thing that has happened in my heart? So Paul's illustrating. He's like, yeah, for the people of God, we just don't do that. He goes on. He says, for you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. He's just delineating. And he's saying, yeah, guys, you can be sure. That guy, you know, that guy's sleeping around. That guy's ripping his employees off. And that guy's Captain F-bomb. And that's who that guy is. And he says, but I go to church. I'm a Christian. He's like, Paul's like, no, he's not. You can be sure that if that's the, if the pattern is the way of self, not the way of love, that guy doesn't have an inheritance of the kingdom of God. Don't, don't treat them like they're part of the family of God. That's not true. If, if her life is marked by obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking and immorality, and then she's like, yeah, but I'm just like you. I go to church with you. We should do a business deal. He's like, no, you can be sure. Like, it's a pretty clear path that the path of self and the path of love delineates really strongly. So just imagine, Paul, he, you're driving your faith, and he gets in beside you. And he says, okay, listen, let's start by just do what I say, because this is all going to be really foreign to you, not a hint of sexual immorality. What? Yeah, not a hint. A hint? Yeah. No, no obscenity. What? What? I never knew that. Right. I'm just, I'm just giving you a baseline so that you can start to see that, that you went from a non-driver to a driver and drivers function differently, right? Don't use your cell phone while you're driving. What? Right? Be because something different has happened and you're reborn onto this path. Now, what's fascinating is Paul then says, in essence, there's another level. Those are my words, not his. But as I kind of clear, get this clear delineation, he's saying, hey, let's, let's grow more and move on so that I'm not telling you what to do all the time, but you start to discover what you should do. So he clarifies, he goes on in verse 8, he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. You're a different person, a different thing now. You're on the path of love. So live as children of the light. What, what's the light? I don't understand it. Well, for the, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So Paul says, yeah. So as you, as you start to understand this delineation, then, then I want you to live, God wants you to live in the reality of who you are. You, you are not a person who comes to church. You are not just a better moral figure. You are not someone who like knocked it off and grew up a little bit. You were darkness, now you're light. Your darkness and light are completely different things. So live as children of the light. What is that? All goodness, righteousness, and truth. So look in your life as you're headed down this path and say, are there any aspects of my life that are not defined by goodness, righteousness, and truth? Anything in my life that is not reminiscent 
or is reconciled with being a child of light as opposed to a child of darkness. And then he goes on and he explains this a little bit more. Verse 11, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedience do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it said, Awake, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul says, listen, have nothing to do with the fruitless seeds of darkness. Find out what the Lord's will is, and when you look at aspects of your life and you find darkness and not light, apply light to it. Expose it, illuminate it, and when you illuminate darkness with light, the darkness becomes light. Let's talk about this for a second. This is a big deal. Darkness, when you bring light to darkness, it does not illuminate the darkness. When you bring light to darkness, it doesn't moderate the darkness. Light doesn't moderate darkness. When you bring light to darkness, light eradicates darkness. You cannot have light and darkness in the same place. So Paul's saying, when you see darkness in your life, you see sin in your life, you expose it. What's your speedometer say? As opposed to dad saying, slow down. Do you see your speedometer? Now you expose it. You bring darkness into the light. And then at the end there, he says, awaken, O sleeper. What's he saying? He's saying, guys, there's some darkness that you're, you're just used to. It, it, it's not even that you're going out and saying, I'm going to become the prince of darkness tonight. <laughs> it, that's not what he's saying. He's like, There's some darkness that you're just used to. You know, in your family, you guys just hold grudges. You're used to it. It's the way you were raised. You, 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 that sexual sin, you don't even really think about it much anymore. I mean, it's not a big deal. You don't hardly remember doing it. That greed, you, you would say, oh, I'm not greedy. I, I just do whatever I want with my money. See? The, 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 the ways that you, that, the way you always shade the truth a little bit and don't answer anybody. See? He's like, yeah, awake, oh sleeper. It's as if that's normal to me and God showed up with a spotlight on your eyeballs and said, hey, wake up, wake up. Is it true, righteous, and good, right? And you, you expose that to the light because anything in my life that is darkness hinders my depth of relationship with God. I'm not gonna love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength while I'm harboring sin, bitterness, unforgiveness. And it also hinders my relationships with the people around me. I'm only going to be so close to my wife or friends or parents or whatever relationship. I'm only going to be so close to them if I'm keeping a secret from them. So it hinders it. And because I want to love God the way of love, and I want to love my neighbor, I bring that into the light. I want to, I want to rabbit trail here just for a second. I want to say this to you because I think it's important, Okay. 
Ready? Here's a great quote for you. This would be a great tattoo to get this weekend. Right here it is. Ready? It's never the devil who exposes sin. Did you catch that? It's never the devil who exposes sin. It's only Christ who exposes our sin. When you get caught, it's not the devil who messed your life up. It's Jesus who's trying to rescue you. Satan loves it when we have secrets. He loves it when I have a secret sin and I build a wall around a certain place in my heart so that light doesn't penetrate that. When I decide that I don't want to expose this, I don't want to be known in this way, I want to keep this secret, I want to, I want to keep this facade in my life, I want to just operate the way that I'm used to operating. I know what the Bible says about forgiveness, but I haven't talked to her for years. When I build a wall around the fruitless deeds of darkness, here's the bottom line. It's at that point that the depth of my relationship with Christ will stop. When I build a wall in a relationship and I just don't want my husband to know, what, does, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. The depth of your intimacy with your spouse will stop right there. The depth of your closeness with your parents, your family, fill in your blank, will stop right there. So when that area of your life blows out, because sin is never contained, it's always going to need to, the wall is always going to need to be expanded, because sin only grows, it never shrinks. The only way to shrink it is to eradicate it. We don't manage sin. We remove it. We eradicate it. We expose it to light. And so what Paul's saying is, he's like, yeah, it's true. Satan never exposes your sin. Christ does that. But there's another option. You could do it. You could say, I, I want to walk the way of love. I've been changed. I don't even care about the things I used to care about anymore. I've been resurrected. I'll bring it to the light. And when I bring it to the light, this is why we confess our sins to one another. You don't have to do this on, on uh, Snapchat or Twitter, but you go to a trusted friend or a spiritual leader, a life group leader, and we confess our sins to one another. Why? So that the sin doesn't consume me. I'm going to beat the devil at this. And if, if my life does blow out and my fruitless deeds of darkness are brought into the light, it's not Satan who did that. He wants you to keep that secret all day, every day. It's the love of God that brought that out to you, right? So Paul says, right, I'm going to get in the car. Hey, first of all, do this, do this, do this. There's a delineation, and then secondly, he's, the next level is getting in the car and it's like, do you see your own speedometer? Do you notice that you're drifting off the side of the road, right? You start to learn it. And then finally, he kind of lands us almost on this place of instinct. So he goes on, verse 15, says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He says, I want you to be careful not to live as unwise, but as wise, 
because you have opportunities, you have relational opportunities, don't squander those opportunities. The days are evil. The, the, the delineation between the way of love and the way of self is a really big deal. So don't blow those opportunities. Don't be foolish with it, but find out what the Lord's will is. How would the Lord, as we're following God's example, as we're following the example of Christ, how would Christ manage that opportunity, okay? So live in wisdom. J.D. Greer has a great quote. He says this about wisdom. He says, wisdom, wisdom is learning to think correctly about things not spelled out in Scripture. It's learning to think correctly about things that are not spelled out in Scripture. So a lot of times in the, in the church world, we call this discernment, discernment. Well, you don't, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You, you have to have discernment in what you're doing. So let's, let's talk about television, right? So it, are TVs evil? Of course not. Is having cable evil? Of course not. Is Hulu or Netflix evil? Of course, none of those things are, are evil at all. But let's have wisdom, right? Is the television evil? No. Is cable evil? No. Is HBO evil? Not necessarily is Game of Thrones in line with the way of love? Because there's a lot of naked. See? And when I'm watching naked, and I want, is, is there anything, is it a hint of sexual immorality? Is, is that comedy, is comedy evil? Of course not. Is that one that really it's the whole comedy is coarse joking? Is it, is it, would it, would it travel the way of love with me? Would, would Jesus, if Jesus was watching it, would he be like, that was so funny? Or would he be like, yikes, guys, this is all about pe who's sleeping with who? Why, why are you watching it? Because you have an opportunity with your life to make an investment with your life. Is that, is that a why? Does, does your investment of your time and energy any way feed the way of love? Watching that. Binge watching that. See, it's those kind of things. He's like, That's, that might be foolish. You should find out what the Lord's will is on that. So discernment. It, wisdom is things like redeeming unspiritual activities. There's a lot of activities that we do that are unspiritual. They're, they're amoral. They have no morality. They're just things that we do, right? So it is, is playing soccer spiritual or unspiritual? Well, it's, it's neither. It just is what it is. Is it a sin? Of course not. Should, can I be involved with it? Of course you can. That's not the question. The question is how do you redeem it? right? So now I'm really good buddies with all of these guys on my team. I have a relational opportunity. Is it wise or unwise? What's my, what's my testimony? What do they hear me, what do they hear come out of my mouth? How devastated am I about a loss and how ego-driven am I about a win? Are those things things that that attract them or inspire them about the way of love, or am I just too wrapped up in soccer? And truly, fill yard work, the car, whatever, just fill in your blank. It's not right, wrong. That's not what the Bible's addressing. It's wisdom. 
apathy? Am I redeeming it? Am I using it? Or am I squandering these things and my involvement in it? And Paul actually goes on, and he uses an illustration here. And it's fascinating, the illustration that he, he uses. He says, redeem the opportunities, find out what pleases the Lord. And then verse 18, he uses the illustration of alcohol. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It's the only illustration he uses. He's like, yeah, use wisdom. Like what? Like alcohol. And so when you would look, you look at the Bible and say, the, the, the Bible says we shouldn't drink. It doesn't say that. The Bible says that alcohol is the devil's wicked liquor. doesn't say that at all. Well, we shouldn't drink wine. doesn't say that. Jesus made wine. He made really good wine at the wedding reception. He, the only people on planet Earth that know what wine is supposed to taste like are those people. And it was really good, so much so that the master of the ceremony was upset. He's like, why did you leave the good stuff to last? Everybody's trashed already, and now the good stuff comes out. So he made real wine. The Bible doesn't say, don't, don't, it doesn't prohibit alcohol, for instance, because it's not about the alcohol, right? It says, don't get drunk. Well, how much alcohol, what, what's the Bible say? How much alcohol are we allowed to have? Well, that really depends, doesn't it? it did you eat anything? That makes a difference, right? Are you like no body fat person, right? You're just too skinny. You sniff the wine, you're trash. I don't know, right? Is that, or are you, are you, what's your body makeup? Heidi's been calling me cushy. <laughs> so I kind of like it a little bit, right? So like, it's gonna, so like, is it one glass? Is it three glasses? And, and Paul's like, that's not the point. The point is not, a forbidding or a prohibition of the thing. The point is wisdom. When you go on spring break and you're seven coronas in and you're standing up and you're like, 2019 is going to live on forever, which is exactly what my friends said about 1993. <laughs> what about that is sharing the reason for the hope that's within you? What about getting buzzed or trashed remotely reflects the way of love? Where, where in the world would that come in? I haven't seen my buddies since high school, and I've been reborn, I've been resurrected, I'm a new creation, and we get together and we drink? Paul, Paul's not like, don't you dare go to the wine bar. He's like, guys, what, what about, like, that's just a wasted opportunity. Don't get drunk on wine. What, how foolish. And you, you can pull alcohol out, put in entertainment, put in hobbies, put in gambling, put, put in exercise, put in whatever, you, food, put in whatever you want. And he's like, why, why would we do that where something else is controlling us as reborn remade, born-again people, that's what comes out. So he says, you don't, don't do that. That's foolish and that's unwise. He says, instead, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm going to get together with the guys. We're going to Vegas. It's, I'm praying for my friends. I've been reborn and they haven't yet. Be filled with the Spirit, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we have to, you know, walk around singing worship songs that we sing at church. What he's saying is this, out of the overflow of the heart, this is what's presented. If I go out, I'm going to go drinking. That's your heart. But if I'm going to go out, I'm going to, maybe with a glass of wine or a beer in my hand, I'm going to tell the story, what God has done, the reason for the hope that's within me. Maybe it's the fact that I'm not getting trashed that even triggers the question. See? And I'm going to speak that to you because I'm defined and directed by the way of love now. That I'm compelled by the way of love. The way of self, that, w- that used to be me, but I've been reborn, remade, resurrected. I am a different creation than I once was. And these are the things that define me, and these are the things that, that direct me. Okay? One of the greatest um, and probably most common tragedies about us spiritually is when we look at the Bible we're always looking for a list of do's and don'ts, right? And, and we do that in the church. I was raised that way. You went to church every week and you got a, a new sin not to participate in, right? And so you, you, you got rid of all your Def Leppard albums, which I had to rebuy later. So you got rid of all those. And then you, you went to church. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, don't do this either. And you're like, oh man. And so you, you would just find these new sins all the time and you would, you would accumulate this list of sins, And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that is the biggest preconceived idea about the church. It's it's a rule giver and a list of sins. Here's the problem. If I could create an exhaustive list of sins, and if I could create an exhaustive list of rules, then you and I could become self-righteous. All we got to do is keep the rules. And we keep the rules, you just put a, a, a grading system in. You know, if you get a, you know, C minus or higher, you're eligible. That's what I learned in high school. And so I, I just got to kind of like make it. And I just kind of keep enough or I really get into it. And it's a great tragedy because when we miss that, we miss the heart of God. Like some, we're all supposed to become nuns and monks. And that's not God's heart at all. In fact, it's fascinating when you, when you look at the illustration that Paul uses here in these passages we were looking at, the things he uses as illustration change, right? So, for instance, sexual immorality. What is sexually immoral outside of a New Testament marriage between a man and a woman is moral inside a New Testament marriage between a man and a woman. So, it's not the sex. It's the relationship. So it's, it's not, not sex is bad. Sex is good. It is very good, <laughs> right? So sex is good in its context when it's illustrating what it was created to illustrate. So it's not the action. It's my place before God. It's on the path or not. The same thing's true with obscenity, right? So a curse word, a curse word means different things, different places, different times in history, so a cuss word here does not mean the same thing in Brazil. A, a cuss word today, a curse word today, does not mean, it didn't mean 100 years ago what it means today. It changes, right? In fact, 
a normal word today can become a curse word, right? My kids tell me that, like, Dad, you shouldn't say that anymore. I'm like, yeah, somebody should send a text out. Like, I, all these things change suddenly, right? I don't know. And, and so it's obscenity, cursing, it's not the word, it's the heart. So you can curse even when you use the Christian substitute for the word. It, Jesus isn't like, ah. Oh, she said sugar instead of. <clears throat> He's looking. Yeah, you know, don't you? It, it, Jesus, Jesus would look and say, no, that there's an expression of the heart. And, and out of the overflow of the heart came that. And your story is about being resurrected. See? Coarse joking is the same way. Coarse joking is coarse joking depending on where the joke is made. So if I, if I went up to one of the ladies at church and said something, it would be completely flirtatious, be completely inappropriate. If I said that to my wife, it, it's not the thing. It's the position. So the Bible is not a list of rules. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a, it's a way to find relationship with God. And God looks and says, you know what, guys? It, start, it starts off like, this is different than that. Just do what I say the minute I say to do it. Right? This is different than that. But now you're looking for goodness, righteousness, and truth. Is that what you see in that? Is that reminiscent of goodness, righteousness, and truth? And then finally, it's, a, it's an instinct. Do you see that? That car is not going to stop. You have, it, it's not the thing, it's where the thing takes us, right? Now, when I teach the kids to drive, or Heidi teaches the kids to drive, the reason we do that is because we love them. Number one leading cause of death for teenagers in North America are car accidents, when I'm teaching them these things, it's not to control them. It's not because they're dumb. It's not because, it's not because my way is the best way. I'm teaching them because I love them. And I know that if we can get to an instinct, see, that's the best place for them to be. And it, it's the loving father who doesn't just toss the keys of the car. You just go do whatever you want. Because they know. The loving mother knows. Because we've been driving so long. So all of this is our heavenly father loving us. Helping us to find the, the best path of life. The path of life that takes us closest to the heart of God. And is the most loving investment of our life into our neighbor's life. And that's the example God sets for us. Okay? It's not rules, it's not lists, those things just clarify so we kind of know. But it's this path of love, and I'm not aspiring to it, I'm not earning it, I've been born onto it. And the eyes of my heart are being enlightened. I'm, I'm under, I'm like, oh, I get it now, I understand it more. And it allows me to love God, have things that aren't between he and I, because I'm exposing them to the light, and then it allows me to love my neighbors properly and lets me know how to navigate those relationships as well, okay? All right.
I think a conversation like this, the probably the best response to it is to use it. So maybe here for a few minutes as we're kind of quiet and still, we can do that. Maybe you want to ask questions like this. Is there any part of my heart that's walled off and there's darkness behind it and I don't want light there? Should I, how do I, when should I, I need to expose that to the light? Because I want nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, right? Maybe there's some ahas. Whoa, are you saying all sexual activity outside the New Testament marriage between a man and a woman is immorality? Yep. Whoa. Never heard that before. I wasn't raised that way. I got you. I got you. We're on a new path. You got a new life now, right? So recognizing that, what, how do I even start dealing with that, right? And then maybe there's areas of wisdom where, where you can, you can honestly look, there's lots of stuff. You're like, well, the Bible doesn't say that. You're right, there's lots of things the Bible doesn't say. Is it wise? Is it hurting people that you love? Is it hurting you? Does, does it cause you to reflect Christ in any way? Right? And, and, and you're looking and saying, I want to I wanna take hold of these opportunities that God has in front of me. So maybe just think it through on those levels and pray it through on those levels, right? And then see what God brings to bear for you, okay? Jesus, help us with this. God, help us to, to sort this through. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is our helper. And so Holy Spirit, if you would show us these places in our hearts, show us these places maybe we lack wisdom or we're harboring darkness or maybe just we didn't know. And then help us begin to process it. We have you, we have the mind of Christ, we have the word of the church. And so God, help us to utilize all of those things and embrace this resurrection that you've given us in deeper and deeper ways. Press into our hearts, God, and let us humble ourselves, yield ourselves to you as we, uh, we walk this path of love. Do that in these still moments in a powerful way and even beyond, God, and let it be a hallmark of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. We ask for your help in it all, in your name.